stay up with me, if that's okay. Good. Um, I uh, will kind of give you a, a little bit of a heads up tonight where my thought process was and where it um, took me. Um, and I don't, um, I just kind of, we of course were planning on going to Europe, I mean to Israel in just in the matter of a few weeks and uh, that trip has been on again and off again and then finally uh, the last report was that uh, they would they would let you go but you had to be tested every day there and and that would be an extra cost and an extra hassle every morning to get up and be tested and so I we just kind of felt like probably it was not going to be uh, you know uh, in the best interest to go especially since it's still all brand new and and I understand that and I don't feel bad we prayed repeatedly and I know we wanted to do what is good and right and yet uh, so we are not going to go uh, right now anyway may wait of course we didn't go last year because of COVID now this year and uh, try to wait maybe another year maybe in the spring I, I don't know we're just sort of leaving that open-ended but um, I was Consequently, trying to read some of the rabbis' um, <clears throat> sort of um, writings about Jesus, trying to make sure I was had it fresh in my mind, not knowing who I might meet on the plane or on the trip. Uh, that I would want to have at least some answer to uh, respond to um, someone if there was a question. And I, I have several books that I have read and purchased through uh, Jewish um, websites on, on uh, a lot of the Old Testament. And, and what I have noticed in the past several years, 15, 20 years, is more and more and more um, Jewish scholars are writing about Jesus. And they are embracing the fact that Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus was a teacher. And they recognize that he was a teacher. They just can't make the leap to that he was the Messiah. In fact, uh, a rabbi, uh, Shmuley Botich, I don't know if you've heard of him, but a few years ago he got into a controversy in somewhere in New Jersey or New York when a, a neighbor of his, he lives in a kind of an exclusive area, uh, either in New York or out in New Jersey, near New York City, and and uh, a neighbor cut down some trees and put up a big Bedouin tent. Uh, I don't know if you may remember that when that happened and it was Shmuley, Rabbi Shmuley Botich that uh, filed suit and the neighbor was Muslim and here he was a Jewish rabbi. 
And he's written several books. And one of them was called The Kosher Jesus. And talking about how Jesus was indeed a Jew. And he is not the only rabbi that has written or scholar, Jewish scholar, that has written about Jesus. And yet, unfortunately, and I bought Kosher Jesus many years ago. I don't remember how it's, it's an older book. I say older within not in the last year. I bought it many years ago and read it to try to understand their perspective. And I was, um, I, I remember having read it, basically it came down to the fact that he believes that Jesus was this rabbi who wanted to become the Messiah and he was a revolutionary that basically didn't lead a good rebellion and he got killed and that's his final take. Why would you follow a man who tried to rebel against Rome and yet fail? And of course, it's obvious he's missing the big picture of the fact that their, you know, Christianity is here today, followers of Christ. And yet his idea is that, of course, Jesus was a Jew and that he should, uh, he tried to rebel. And so he was a revolutionary and he was not. Uh, the Messiah, that he was this revolutionary guy who tried to lead a rebellion. He was a zealot and uh, he was not the Messiah at all. Of course, when you think of that, um, was Jesus uh, the Rambo Jesus? <laughs> Suffer the little children not you know, but allow them to carry a 45. Was he a revolutionary? And his arguments, some of them, I, I began to look at and I, I realized they, they, were, there was a, they were a little bit off on some of his arguments and I began to look at it and I, I thought, well, I will kind of show you some things that I've read. I don't know that you'll run into a, uh, a Jewish individual that needs to be converted, but I thought we would at least start in uh, some of these verses because I think to explain them becomes very important uh, to understand uh, what was going on. I, I realize that many of the modern Jews, I say modern in our generation and older, uh, many of those rabbis are, are greatly offended by Christianity, by what happened uh, not only during uh, World War II at the start of World War II, uh, but they are offended by uh, the Crusaders and what was done in the name of Christ or in the name of Christianity. And they look at 
Christianity as being very similar to um, the, the fight with the Muslims and that, you know, they're trying to eradicate Jews because unfortunately history bears out that there were many atrocities that were committed by people in the name of Christ that were not appropriate. And I know it's, it's amazing. I, you may say, well, what does that to do with me? I can't tell you how many people I have witnessed to that would say, oh, well, I would never go to that church because, and they tell of some kind of incident that happened. Anybody ever run into something like that? And they, they, that's what happened. And I'm telling you, that has turned me off. Or that turns me off. There's too many hypocrites. There's too many fakes. There's too many whatever. And I, I get it because I, I understand how you can feel that way. But guess what? It doesn't matter. There are, there are crooked lawyers. There are terrible, perverse doctors. There are greedy politicians. There are horrible soldiers. Huh? There are butchers, bakers, candlestick makers. <laughs> huh? Teachers, principals. You, you can't hold on to what somebody did, even in the name of Christ or in the name of Christianity, as a reason not to develop a relationship with Almighty God. Because unfortunately, you know, and I know a lot of Jews actually point to uh, the night of, uh, of the broken glass is what it's commonly called in our language. In German, it's Kristallnacht, uh, uh, the, the crystal night. And it happened on November 9th and 10th when uh, basically there was a German uh, 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 a German politician or ambassador or something that was assassinated diplomat in Paris uh, many years ago in 1938 was assassinated on November the, the 7th and by the time the news hit Germany and Austria the that this man that had killed him was a Polish uh, uh, Jew uh, that had immigrated to to uh, uh, Paris or to France and it was the Jew that had killed him and basically the Nazis and the Germans uh, backed up and said go do your worst and they call it the night of broken glass it happened on November 9th and 10th and they were they broke windows they destroyed synagogues they broke into people's houses and basically nobody did anything to stop them. Unfortunately, November 10th was actually the birthday many years before in the 1400s of Martin Luther. And so some people said that, and of course Martin Luther had written some very uh, uh, 
vicious things about Jewish believers or Jewish people from the 1400s uh, because during the Crusades they felt like the Jews were horrible and they blamed the Jews and and so uh, oftentimes uh, Hitler quoted Martin Luther although he was not a Protestant and so Christianity got a bad rap and from then on there was that sense that all Christians hate Jews. We hate all Jews. That all Jews are bad and there was discrimination and I am sure if you look in America and in American history there was slang words and things that were said about Jews and you just don't want to date Jews, you don't want to be around Jews, you don't want to do business with Jews. As a matter of fact, there used to be the saying, Jesus saves, but Moses invests. He was, that's where the money came from. We blame them for everything. And there was all of that going on. So a lot of Jewish young men and women grew up hearing these stories and believing that Jesus was the fault of that and that he was indeed this revolutionary that wanted to destroy all Jews. And that is not at all what Jesus taught. And that is not at all what he believed nor said nor practiced. As a matter of fact, if you look in Matthew, the 10th chapter, and the 5th and 6th verse, these 12 Jesus sent forth, commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, or into the city of the Samaritans. Enter ye not, but go rather to whom? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. He was interested in saving the Jews. This was not, you say, well, Pastor, Jesus was against the Jews. He wasn't. He went, said, I want to go to the lost house of Israel. That was in Matthew, the 10th chapter. If you look at Matthew, the 15th chapter, he said, I am not sent. And this was what he said, remember, to the lady that they went up into Canaan and, and, you know, she said, oh, heal me and son of David. And he said, no, you're not from the house of Israel, you're a Samaritan. And he said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now he did heal her, but he made it very clear he was Jewish. And John the fourth chapter, Jesus said unto her, Woman, this was at the woman uh, of Samaria that was at the well. The other one was the woman of Sychar. So here, here was a, a dialogue with a woman at the, uh, this, at the well. He said, Believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship What does it say? Worship the Father. Ye worship not, ye know not what, but what we know what we worship. For salvation, notice that phrase, salvation is what? Of the Jews. Jesus never, and, and I'm not 
putting all the verses in because he, you know, would say the law was a schoolmaster. He would anoint men to write about it being a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. But here he says, the hour comes and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father. How? In spirit and in truth. So all of a sudden the joining of two different parts, spirit and truth. The Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Luke, the 24th chapter, when he was getting ready to be taken up out of the world. And he said, repentance. This is after the cross, after the resurrection. Repentance, remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. Beginning where? At Jerusalem. Beginning at Jerusalem. Acts the first chapter, he told them, you know, ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in first Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. Now what's amazing about that is that Jesus at that point makes those statements and we read them later, but Simon Peter and the rest of the disciples did not think that applied to Gentiles. They did not believe that Gentiles could be saved. This was for the Jews. As a matter of fact, you know, you've got to flip forward to the ninth chapter, the 10th chapter, whenever Simon is getting a vision of unclean animals, remember? To be allowed to even go in to see Cornelius. In Acts the third chapter, <clears throat> whenever they had healed the lame man, the disciples said these words, you are children of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the earth be blessed. And notice, they didn't even believe it at this time, but it says, unto you first. God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you. And they thought, Jerusalem. They didn't think. They thought Jews that are in Samaria, Jews that are in wherever. They didn't think, but just to the Jews. Having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. And that's an important phrase because at the time the Jews, even today, they don't have and they don't believe technically in a lot of iniquities or sins. They believe in works. They believe that if you do good works that outweigh your bad works, then it's all going to be, because guess what? They don't have to be cleansed from sin. When does the cleansing happen from sin? Once a year, when the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement is offered in Jerusalem. Which is why 
the rebuilding of the temple is a big deal for the Jews. Because they have not had atonement made for them in over 2,000 years. Almost, yeah, no, almost 2,000 years. Since about 60 or 70, whenever Jerusalem was destroyed. Since then, there's been no atonement. And so when you think that they have, but that's when there's an atonement for sin, but they don't. And so that's why in witnessing to Jews, and if you, if you will, you know, you hear and, and you talk about things that they have done that are wrong, it's like, okay, yeah, that's true, but I'm doing good work. So I'll do this to counterbalance that. And Jesus was like, that's not going to work. You need to have some blood shed to cover that sin. Not what you do. Your works are not enough. And that was the whole message of Jesus. And so about 30 years after Acts, the third chapter was written, Acts, the 21st chapter, and you can read it. Paul went in with James and he was the pastor of the church of Jerusalem and all the elders and he began to tell James about how many Gentiles this was about 30 years after the day of Pentecost uh, were getting how many Gentiles were coming to the Lord and when they heard it they glorified the Lord now these were Jews these elders and they said thou seest brother how many thousands of Jews there are which believe and they are all zealous of the law. And, and the reason I, I want you to understand that is because in, in you just, you Google it or you look online or whatever, more and more and more. I, I've probably got eight or 10 books in my library uh, written by Jews who are more and more embracing that Jesus was a good rabbi and that he has important things to say and we should listen to it. It's almost as if after all of the bad, they're beginning to turn back. Let me tell you, that's prophetic because that's what's going to happen. The Bible says at one point they're going to find Finally, see him, and they're seeing. Wow! In fact, I, I think is it one for Israel that you told me about. Just go to that website and you can click on testimonies and how they're putting books out in Jerusalem and called One for Israel and, and, and it's what they call Messianic Jews believing that Jesus is the Messiah and they're listening to him and they're, they're, they're reading it and you know there's more and more books out there. What are you saying? Oh that should let us know the hour. If the storms in Northeast and in California and if the earthquakes and the exploding volcanoes don't let you know and if the cashless society and all the other stuff and the mandate for a vaccination car, if all that doesn't, you know, make you, you ought to go, look, the Jews are slowly beginning to realize who Jesus is. Wow. And 
because in the early church that they had they were embracing Christianity by the thousands according to Acts the 21st chapter but one of the they used several different verses to kind of mistakenly believe that Jesus was a revolutionary and they used some stories that you know he was angry he was violent he was uh, he was against the temple one of them is found in Matthew Mark Luke John uh, recorded in all the Gospels I, I will read it to you uh, out of out of um, John the second chapter beginning at the 13th verse and the Jews Passover was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem, found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves. You remember this story? And changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple. And the sheep and the oxen poured out the money changers, out the changers' money, and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, very important phrase, remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Everybody say, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. When they saw Jesus going in there and doing all this, it reminded them of the verse, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Now, to fully understand this portion of scripture and what was going on, you kind of have to see a floor plan of Herod's temple. And I, I put one there on your screen and I, I probably should have a, a red dot maybe that would uh, you could better understand it. But the temple site was sort of a larger rectangle and, uh, and inside that site was a smaller section of the temple and inside of that was an even smaller section of the temple and it was divided into two parts uh, that um, and then the one part was divided again into a smaller that sort of um, looks sort of like a, a house there uh, and the altar of burnt offerings was out in front of that. If you were to look in the back of your Bible under maps and you look at a temple or if you Google it and look for Herod's temple, you will see that in fact that uh, that that b building that looks like it's got uh, small dark rectangles, three of them with a doorway in the middle, that would have been the temple that only uh, would have had that would have had the uh, <coughs> would have had the brazen altar and the 
uh, table of showbread and the candlestick. And then in the back part of it would have been a veil and would have been where the Holy of Holies would have been and the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark probably wasn't there at that time, but um, it was uh, still the veil was there. Out in front of that, it doesn't show it on this diagram, would have been what they called a laver of water or a sea. And then in front of that would have been an altar. And when you see that, off to the side, there were little squares where priests would go and they would go to change. They would go to uh, bring incense in, etc., uh, etc. Et and there was, uh, of course, a barricade. Out in front of all of that was what they called the court of the women. And the court of the women, and then around all of that was the priest court, and there were, then there was another barricade around all of that. And on that barricade, they had big signs that warned Gentiles because basically the largest area of this temple was for Gentiles was called the court of the Gentiles. The court of the Gentiles went all the way around it because the Gentiles were allowed to get so close but they couldn't go as close as the Jewish women and they could not of course go as close as the Jewish men and then they could not go nearly like to where the priests were and then the priests could only go into the holy place you know every day and then in the holy of holies only the high priest once a year so and all of us are Bible scholars and we've studied all that and the types and shadows and all of those things so the interesting thing is, though, when Jesus made this scourge of ropes, he was clearing the court of the Gentiles. And actually, if you look in how it's recorded in Matthew and Mark and Luke, he says, my house shall be called the house of prayer. And he basically shall be called of all nations the house of prayer. So it was as if Jesus was symbolically saying, I want everybody to be able to pray toward this place. Now when his disciples saw him do this, they said, the zeal of thine house has eaten us up. Now, where was that? What were they quoting at that time? They were quoting Psalms, the 69th chapter. Actually, it's about the ninth verse. For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. But that whole chapter, David basically was saying they shall hate me without a cause or more than the hairs of my head because for thy sake I have borne reproach shame hath covered my face I am become a stranger to my brethren an alien unto my mother's children for the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me 
So you know what they were basically saying to Jesus when they quoted Bible to him? You've done it now. Now you got him. You don't mess with somebody's money. You don't go in there. That's, that's the, oh, you've done it now. The zeal of, your, of thine house hath eaten us up. You, got, you, were, you were going at it. You, man, you know, we're, we were with you, but you crossed the line there. What the disciples were basically saying is, uh-oh, it's on now. It, you're not going to make friends after this. Huh? Anybody ever? You know, it's like, and, you know, we've all seen politicians probably are the world's worst, but, you know, they say something and you think, uh-oh, you shouldn't have said that. You should have left that line out of there. Now they're going to hate you forever. Huh? Well, what they were saying is, you've done it now, Lord. And yet, do you think for one moment that that's what the Lord was intending? He was wanting that. He basically... He was not trying to say destroy the temple. He was not trying to say, I don't want anybody to worship here. He was basically trying to say, I want to open this up. But he knew when he did it. This is why he repeatedly would say, okay, I'll heal you. Don't tell anybody. Why? He was not trying to pick a fight before it was time for them to crucify him. Luke, the 22nd chapter, was another one. Now, this is at the end. They've, if, you, if you study the book of Luke and you get to what's going on in the Bible at this time, uh, now the Lord, it's in his last year, he's confronting the Sadducees even more and he is just about, you know, he's about ready uh, to go to the upper room. And uh, he is going to, uh, you know, uh, he's, he's telling them, as a matter of fact, Simon, Satan had desired to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. And the 22nd chapter in the 34th verse, and he said unto them, when I sent you without purse, script, and shoes, did you lack anything? And they said, what? Nothing. Then said he unto them. Now I have misquoted this verse a lot. I've tried to use it on my wife, but she's, she doesn't fall for it. In fact, the other day, somebody told me that Buckeye Guns was opening up their new store out and out by the basket. They had sales and all kinds of things supposedly. 
So I went and I said to my wife, she was out of town, I said, I'm going out to Buckeye Gun this, mo this morning for a minute, see what they have on sale. I said, you know the Bible says, buy a sword. <laughs> she said, it doesn't mean that. I said, I need to be like Rambo Jesus. <laughs> I went, but I knew better. I didn't buy another sword. But I went just to see all the people that were buying lots of swords. But here's what it says. He hath a purse, let him take it. Likewise his scrip. He that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Oh man, that's, that's, that is, I need to buy a sword. I got to protect myself. For I say unto you that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors. Everybody say, he was reckoned among the transgressors. Now the disciples did not get what Jesus was saying. They didn't understand it. When he said, he that hath a purse, you need to, I sent you out, you didn't have a purse, you didn't have a script, you didn't have anything, and did you lack anything? And what'd they say? Nope, we lack, didn't lack anything. And he said, okay, go get you a purse, go get you a script, if you don't have a sword, sell your garment and get you one. Because he said it's about ready to happen. It has that I, he was reckoned among the transgressors. Now the disciples were very literal. And what they all get together and do? Huh? We got two of them right here. Peter's got a sword and I got a sword. That's what they said to him. They said, Lord, behold, there are two swords. Should we go get some more swords? We need to all have swords. We're a revolutionary army. We're gonna attack the Romans. What'd the Lord say when he said we have two swords? That's enough, stop at two. You don't need 22, 32, 52. I know, but they've got a brand new one out that's got a neat little sight. Fits nice in your hand. I love it. What did the Lord say when he said, two is enough? What did they say? He said, it's enough. It's enough. You don't need any more. Now, where did that verse come from? He was reckoned with the transgressors. Why did Jesus say he was numbered among the transgressors, disciples? Why did he say, get a pack, get a script. If you don't have a sword, get a sword. Do you know what he was basically saying? Get ready, get ready, get ready. Because it's about ready to come to a head. 
Do everything you can to get ready. Am I against you having a sword? No, you can have two. And I don't care if you have 32, if you can afford them. But the point is, I'm going to tell you something. If you trust in that more than God, all right to have a bank account? Sure. All right to have insurance? Sure. All right to have, yes. All right to have a script? Yes. All right to have another change of clothes? Yes. But if you think that's going to save you in the end time, And, and it's amazing, it's amazing how many people, I, I mean, David has been working online at home and one of the guys that works with him, you know, already talked about last year during COVID when there's got so many shortages, his wife's family was from somewhere, Alabama, Virginia, and he said, I've got it mapped out. We'll drive as far as we can. David, we can stop at your house and, you know, we can then go from there and I've got, I've got people lined up where we can go and we can be protected should the, you know, all the terrible stuff happen. I, it, that's fine if you want to map it all out and you want to get, but you know what? I would rather say, Lord, my faith, my trust is in you Yes. Yet, Isaiah the 50, I said 12th chapter, it's Isaiah 53rd chapter and the 12th verse. The last verse of the 53rd chapter is what Jesus was quoting. Here it is. Let me let, me let you hear it. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. What Jesus was quoting to his disciples, they knew was from Isaiah 53. And the reason it wasn't about the sword, because when they go, well, we've got two swords, what did he say? It's enough. And then later on in that same chapter, they catch him and they go to the garden. And Simon Peter takes out one of his swords, whop the ear. And what does Jesus do? Put it away. He that lives by that and he heals that man's ear and, and he says this, you, you read it in Luke, same book, he says, he touched his ear and then Jesus asked the chief priest, he said, when I, I was in the temple and you wouldn't come get me but now you're out here like I'm a thief with swords and staves. And you've come at me at this hour and with, you know, and under the power of darkness. Matthew records it. Mark says the same thing. Put your sword away. You live by it, you're going to die by it. And what Jesus said in Matthew was, don't you know, I could have called 12 legions of angels. I didn't need you to all be armed. Now, am I saying you shouldn't carry? If you have permit and you want to carry, that's fine. I understand. But my point is that, listen, God can protect you more 
more than two forty-fives, an axe, and a thirty-eight, yes. or two thirty-eights, or whatever. I'm not saying be stupid, walk around, you know, with money hanging out of your pocket at two o'clock in the morning down in Little Texas or whatever, and stumble around and let everybody think you don't have a good sense and then wonder, well, I can't believe why God didn't help me. And is it getting violent? Sure, and if you want, that's fine. This is not about that, but what you've got to understand is Jesus was not preaching, go buy a sword. He was trying to say, get ready, get ready, because I want you to understand, and he quoted Isaiah 53. You know what was so powerful about Isaiah 53? Go home and read it. For those of you who don't remember it, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted as grief with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and have returned. And, uh, you know, everyone do his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. What he was trying to explain to his disciples is get ready. Get ready. Get ready. We're not going to go out of here as conquerors. But I'm fixing to become the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. They're not going to understand it. You don't understand it now. You don't even comprehend what's about to happen to me in the next three or four days. I'm going to be crucified. But I'm coming back on resurrection morning. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. You say, are you telling me that... Jesus was not saying by a sword. Oh, he was saying, and, and I, you can quote that scripture. That's all right. You can use it. I try it all the time. The Lord said I needed another sword. My wife says two is enough. <laughs> but... People have used some of these verses to say Jesus was trying to arm, get his people to arm. He wasn't trying to get them to get armed. He was trying to show them, I'm numbered with the transgressors. Read Isaiah 53rd chapter, it's 12 verses, it's a short chapter. And it's basically saying, I am not going to be the conquering Messiah, I'm going to be the suffering Messiah. The lamb slain from the foundation. He was saying, guys, you know what? You're going to have to get ready because you... I'm fixing to be crucified. I'm fixing to be out of here. Does that mean God won't still supply our needs? Yes, he will. And I, I know. I, we'll, we'll talk some more about being a lamb. I, and I, I know sometimes folks, have, they misread scriptures. They take them out of context and... And uh, they want them to make mean what I, they say they need to mean. And I've been guilty of that myself. I did it Saturday. <laughs> Honey, I'm going to Buckeye Gun. 
Do you remember, I can get two swords. She said, don't go there. I said, all right, I'll just go and look. That's all I did. So hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I, I'm so thankful for the word, aren't you? Yeah. Let's stand. It's eight o'clock. They're going to have choir practice. Don't forget, I have, we have uh, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday afternoon. I mean, Thursday night, Friday morning, Saturday afternoon. Hallelujah. Thank you for being here. Thank you for all being in the house of the Lord. Was he a revolutionary? Yes, in one sense he was. He revolutionized the world. But he was called to be the Lamb of God. And I'm thankful that I know him, aren't you? Oh, hallelujah. He is the Messiah, but he was not. Uh, the Jews still to this day can't imagine a Messiah that was crucified. And that's why many of them will turn and follow the Antichrist because as a world power he's going to let them start going back to uh, offering sacrifice in the temple in the rebuilt temple and they're going to say that's the guy and uh, then at some point many will turn back to Jesus let's thank him for the word let's thank him for his presence Lord we love you we thank you for your many blessings to us thank you for